The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Red Sox or Yankees, Lakers or Celtics, Eagles or Cowboys. I hope you're enjoying my detailed sports knowledge. Well, today, Alex and Wade will be looking at another classic rivalry. Claim Social Security at 62 or 70. Let's find out what they have to say. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Alex, and I'm here with Wade Fow. And today, we're going to continue our Social Security arc, right, Wade? That's right, Alex. It's episode two on Social Security. <laughs> and I know you're excited for this There we go. <laughs> you're, oh, riveted, riveted. Yeah, I think you were sharing beforehand. <laughs> I don't know if I was meant to share with everyone, but you were having trouble staying awake during the last episode. So that's <laughs> never hey, a great time. But... Hey, no, but yeah, but why yeah, was that, Wade? Come on now. You know. And fast forward. Yeah, I had niece. <laughs> we're recording this on a Friday we did the last episode we recorded yesterday, Thursday, and we batched these, right? Oh, I was ready. To and so on Monday, we had uh... <laughs> Nah, I got tired of that game. <laughs> we always mess up anyways, right? And I uh, had partial knee replacement on Monday. And I was, I was still a little woozy on it uh, yesterday. And I was telling Wade that it kind of slows me down in a good way because I usually run f- fast. So <laughs> I was telling Wade I should have surgery before... <laughs> every podcast just to keep me you know within normal limits of everyone else (laughs) (laughs) and that was the reaction i got from wade silence (laughs) yeah but i I know we have plenty of listeners who may have appreciated the uh bit of a less aggressive tone on your part for the the episode (laughs) less aggressive wow (laughs) a little bit of a respite they got a little bit of a respite (laughs) that's right but, but we're continuing the series today, and we're continuing to, we went through the, on last week's episode, we went through the six steps of claiming Social Security. One of them was just understanding the basic philosophies around claiming Social Security, and we indicated we'd just talk about that briefly last week, because that's really going to be the theme of this week's episode. How to think about, just in a more general manner, not the claiming rules precisely other than the delay credits, but is it a good idea to wait towards closer to age 70 to claim Social Security, or is it a good idea to claim it closer to age 62, potentially? And we'll just look at the arguments for and against, or when it may be appropriate to delay, when when there are certain cases where it may be appropriate to claim sooner. Does that sound like a good agenda? I think that sounds, like I said, riveting. <laughs> Wait, uh, just uh, in terms of level setting a little bit, what 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 are the spread? What is the spread between people usually claiming early versus claiming late in ballpark terms? Not claiming late, but claiming later. Well, that's, yeah, one of the really a nice place to start. So thank you for teeing that up is just the statistics about when people do claim and how we've seen a major shift in just the last 10 to 15 years. 
So it used to be like what we would say is more than half the population claims social security at 62. And that was technically true until about 2009. So going all the way back to 1985 to 2009, it was always 50 to 60% of people are claiming in age 62. Then starting after that, it's it came down and every year coming down more and more dramatically. Now this is data that does take a bit longer to get updated. So the most recent data we have is for 2021 at this point. But by 2021, only 29% of the population is claiming at age 62, the earliest possible age. So it went from over 50% consistently for many years to dramatically drop and was down to 29%. Meanwhile, uh, those who wait past their full retirement age, so it, and still full retirement age is 66 and X number of months. So people who are waiting until 67, 68, 69, 70, that number was always hovering at somewhere close to 6% of the population. And it was still 6% uh, in 2009, but then it started a trajectory up. And by 2021, 24% of new retirement beneficiaries who were not otherwise entering Social Security through uh, disability, but were deciding when to claim their retirement benefits, uh, 24% were waiting past their full retirement age by 2021. So it's a huge shift in how people are claiming Social Security that just really happened in a less than 15-year period since approximately 2010. What, what do you what do you attribute it to? Like, I, obviously, it's, you know, what, what, you know, what's the, I don't know, there's a silver bullet kind of thing, but what, what do you get the sense that started this sort of uh, trend? I think it's partly due to education that people started learning about this and, and just there hadn't really been a framework for thinking about things. But then suddenly the really hot topic in financial planning, especially retirement, was when should you claim Social Security? And there were a lot of people talking about this starting around that same time, around 2010. I talk about how Larry Kotlikoff's book on Social Security uh, one, not just when books are first released, of course, they get a bump and opportunities to be bestsellers. But his book, when it wasn't even a new release at one point, was number three on all of Amazon, not just number three in the retirement planning list. Wow. But the number three bestselling book on all of Amazon. And it was a book about social how to claim security. social security. So I think people were learning more and more about the topic and, and realizing what we're going to talk about today that, uh, I do tend to be <laughs> generally in favor of people delaying, and uh, we'll talk about why. And, and I think really that message is getting out there so that this is something more and more people so, understand. So, so are you telling me the great American novel is not Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, it's, but... Uh, <laughs> it's how to get what's yours from Social Security. Social Security by Kalika? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he is a, wow. he's been a presidential candidate in the past, although... Not necessarily widely known, but uh, he has been on the ballot. So <laughs> he's getting that education. No, I, I did think you were going to, I, 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 I thought you were going to give Jason a shout out here. A uh, friend of the show, Jason Fickner, who was on the Social Security thing. I thought you were going to say, oh, well, he was single-handedly responsible <laughs> for, yeah. for getting people to start to claim early. Well, I mean, claim well, he's later. He's definitely a voice at the Social Security Administration who was pushing for a better understanding of claiming strategies and also framing, like we mentioned last week, 
he, he was responsible for changing the term used to be normal retirement age, which somehow normalized <laughs> a particular claiming age. And he changed that to full retirement age. But really, he'd like to take that even further and say age 70 would be the age where you don't have any reduction to your benefit. And any other age, you're, you're getting a smaller benefit. But yeah, it's it's really it. that. So complete... framing it from taking away, not necessarily giving. <laughs> yeah, that completely changing mindset. Now, Social Security is not the hot topic anymore. Uh, there were a lot of fun, unique claiming strategies. It is today, it Wade. Is today. It is today. <laughs> but in 2015, the government <laughs> took away some of the fund uh, with the claiming strategies. Nonetheless, well, what are, what are some what are some of the arguments? What are some of the main arguments as we get into this for delaying Social Security? Yeah, yeah. So let, we'll talk about arguments for delaying, and then arguments potentially against delaying. Well, and then some that are more valid than others, but valid and potentially invalid <laughs> arguments against delaying Social Security. So, with the arguments for delaying Social Security. They mainly boil down to one is just think about Social Security as insurance rather than as an investment. But then also, even if you want to frame Social Security as an investment, it's actually a pretty darn good investment to, to delay Social Security. And we'll unpack that statement. And then just mention as well, the uh, when you do delay Social Security, that can create some tax opportunities to have a more efficient tax situation in retirement as well. So those are what we'll talk about in terms of why you may want to delay Social Security. Then we'll get into the arguments. Sure. I mean, I like, I like that first one a lot simply because it doesn't even deal with numbers. It's just almost like a logical – you go through a logical progression. And you know, if I'm a big fan of control things that you can control. And you continually try to make the right decisions based on that. And if you do that enough times, you know, the probabilities are in your favor. And that's where I think that sort of decision matrix for Social Security really is a yeah. it, it just lays it out quite beautifully for me. Uh, do you want to do you want to sort of uh, explain that away yeah. so someone can visualize that a little bit in there? Yeah, heads? and it, it's a way to think about Social Security as insurance. And so there's four boxes, not not the recent matrix, but <laughs> there's four four kind of things <laughs> that can happen. So in one direction, you could either claim early or claim late. And in the other direction, you either experience a short retirement or a long retirement. Now, remember, when we talk about retirement planning, you generally need to plan for a long retirement. But these are just either <laughs> you have a short retirement or a long retirement. So then we can walk through what happens in those four scenarios. If you claim early and then experience a short retirement, it worked out okay, uh, financially if, if we're talking merely about the finances of course <laughs> you and, want and not to be macabre here but when you say short <laughs> you, retirement you, you mean you die early you, you pass away you, you may yeah, yeah, like, exactly. make it to age 70 or something like that rather than living to age 90 or beyond but yeah financially it worked out if you claim early and then end up not living very long now if you delay claiming and then end up not living very long in hindsight Financially, you may have been able to leave a larger legacy had you claimed early. But because you didn't have to spend much money on your retirement, your beneficiaries are still going to be treated very well in either scenario. So there's really minimal harm done if you claim die early and claim late. And this is assuming like there's no survivor and so forth. But, but that's important. And now if you think about valences, right? Positive valence, negative valence. Claim early 
die early. Hey, fine. No, no, no harm. Not, nothing happened there. But claim late, die early, minimal harm done because, yeah, the opportunity cost of, hey, you, maybe you didn't go to Disney World, but you still had enough money that you left something behind. And, yeah, I think go people on. worry about that scenario. That's the trouble. They think, like, I'm, I'm really going to regret. But, but uh, I'm, I'm going to die early and I'm going to regret not taking advantage of Social Security when I could have. <laughs> yeah, but what's the alternative? It's not like there is some magic, right? I mean, you, you have to kind of, on a relative basis... Do you want to do you want to put that at risk versus the other one where it's you claim early and you have a long retirement? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's the other possibility is you enjoy a long retirement. And so financially, what does that mean? If you claim early, you'll have a permanently reduced lifestyle because you're just inefficiently spending your assets, delaying social security, and we'll talk about this in more detail later in the episode, but <laughs> you're you're spending Social Security in an inefficient manner, trying to preserve your investment portfolio in an inefficient manner, and it will reduce your lifestyle in retirement. Versus if you live a long time and you delay your claiming, this can permanently increase your lifestyle in retirement. You can enjoy a higher standard of living. Or, I mean, you can frame it two ways. Either you could enjoy a higher standard of living throughout retirement, or you have a particular spending goal in mind. You can meet it, and then you'll have more money left over at the end for beneficiaries as well. And, and so, so that's where the, the real power comes because it's, if you live a long time financially, you're going to be much better off by delaying social security. Whereas if you don't live very long, there's minimal harm done by delaying social security. Uh, I, I think that's all I, I – everyone is different, right, in, in terms of their own personal hurdles. But to me, this sort of satisfies my sort of boxes that I need to check. It just – this one has a significantly stronger valence to err on the side of cl claiming late and uh, experiencing a long retirement. And I'm not erring on the side, but I'd rather I'd rather expose myself to that option than the, than the counter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the next step really is to further compound or, or expound upon, I should say, why uh, you can have that permanently better lifestyle by delaying Social Security. And getting into that, we can first just comment on the, this back to this idea of do we treat Social Security as insurance or as an investment? And let's just talk a, a moment about why we should treat Social Security as insurance. And really, it's called, it's another name for it is social insurance. It's insurance, risk pooling done socially, done through like the government and so forth. And it's insurance. It's an inflation adjusted, which to be clear on the commercial market, like private non-government market, you cannot buy a CPI adjusted annuity currently in the United States since January 2020. That was when the last company offering them left the market. So Social Security is an inflation-adjusted lifetime annuity backed by the U.S. government, providing longevity protection, uh, which is of more value to the extent that you're worried about outliving your money, uh, providing inflation protection, providing protection against market volatility, and also providing these other type insurance benefits for spouses, for other family members, for survivor benefits, and so forth. So it is social insurance. That Therefore, when we talk about 
when we frame social security as an investment, really, to be clear, <laughs> we'll have that conversation in a moment. But to be clear, it's really not meant to be an investment. It's meant to be insurance. It's meant to protect you against a bad outcome, which is outliving your assets and living in poverty late in life. It's like any sort of, is it a good investment to buy homeowner's insurance? Well, usually it, it, that investment, quote unquote, when it pay off, I'll pay these premiums and then hopefully nothing happens to the house so that you don't have to file a claim. But then when you don't need to file a claim, you say, oh, that was a bad investment. No, that's not the point. The point is it's insurance because there could be a very expensive claim. And in that scenario, you're smoothing the risk across different possible outcomes. You've paid the premium so that you have that protection. You don't think of homeowner's insurance as an investment. You think of it as insurance. And that's the same manner for Social Security. Does that sound okay to you, Alex? I think it's great. Right. I think it's great. <laughs> okay. Well then. Silence is golden. <laughs> I'm trying to measure myself, man. I'm trying comment. to measure myself. <laughs> no, well, I mean, look, uh, you know what came through my head when I'm listening to you? Uh, Blanchett, he loves talking about, you know, you ask him about annuities and this and that, and he almost doesn't even get to talking about annuities until, until he makes sure that people understand that the first domino to fall needs to be optimally claiming Social Security because, in his view, it's the best pension money can buy. Yeah, and I say that too. That that uh, that's actually part of the podcast. <laughs> no, I, I agree very heavily that anyone thinking to purchase a commercial annuity, you cannot beat Social Security delay as a form of a, an annuity. So, step one of any annuity strategy, if your income protection or risk wrap, is to first delay Social Security. Yeah, get get this part right. I mean, it, it's there for the taking. Mm -hmm. And then if you still there, need I, additional, I was out of the common way. There we yeah, go. How's if that? you need additional reliable <laughs> income, then you can look to commercial annuities. But it would not be efficient to claim Social Security at sixty two and buy an annuity at the same time. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. There we go. Now let's flip it. Okay. Now let's view it as an investment. Okay. So let's yeah you know, let's change to this idea of. Social Security as an investment, which gets into, should I claim it early so that I can leverage my investment portfolio, not have to spend as much from my investment portfolio with the idea that that will leave me better off over the long term? Or should I delay Social Security, which if I'm retired means I'll have to spend some other investments more quickly, uh, but is that justifiable because then I'll have a much higher Social Security benefit in the future? and won't have to spend for my investments so rapidly after that point. Or stated another way as well, we talked about last week, if I claim at 62 versus 70, so depending on your full retirement age, the uh, age 70 benefit will be about 76 to 77% larger than if I claim at 62. How long would I need to live for this to pay off in terms of I'll miss my age 62 benefit for eight years, but then I get this 77% larger benefit for the rest of my life. And it does depend on the exact interest rate you assume to discount these benefits, these cash flows. But generally, your early 80s, around age 80 or your early 80s, you have to live that long 
for you to quote unquote benefit from the investment of <laughs> delaying social security for you to get an internal rate of return no. that's positive. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. Now, before you get to that, somebody could be listening, and you mentioned it in the last podcast, and this is where hopefully we'll have Jason on talking about it, but I I, I don't want to entertain the – because someone could be listening thinking, ah, well, that doesn't matter because we're not going to last that long. The government's going to bankrupt this before then. You know, I I don't – how should someone think about that? I personally – and I'll answer it and then you can chime in. I don't think that's the way to think about it at all. I mean, deck chairs will be moved around. I mean, they always are, and I, I wouldn't sweat it like that. And it's more complicated, but I, I, I don't think you just sort of summarily say forget it because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it early because this thing's not going to be around when I'm 80 to even figure out the break even. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would try to disabuse anyone of, of that kind of thinking. Yeah, yeah. And let's put a pin in that. And yeah, that's a great statement for now. But actually, our whole next episode is going to be on this particular topic of social, like the status of the Social Security Trust Fund and potential Social Security reform options. And should you be worried that Social Security is going to disappear at some point? With the answer that I think you're agreeing that I would agree with as well is no, Social Security is not going to disappear. Ultimately, there may be some benefit cut, but it's not going to overturn the discussion we are having right now about whether it's worthwhile to delay Social Security. So, so by and by extension, it's then worthwhile to think about the long term when that break even is. Mm-hmm. You know, even you know, eighties may seem like a long time away, but not, it's not really. It's below normal life expectancy yeah, at yeah, this point. Yeah, life expectancies now for people in their sixties are going to be in the late eighties. And so that's, and that's still, that's the age where you have a 50% chance of living beyond that. So already not even getting into anything else, you've got a better than 50% chance of benefiting from delaying social security because you have a better than 50% chance of living to the age where it pays off to delay social security. So if you're gambling in that regard, you you know, the, the odds are in favor of delay just because it's a, you're more likely to benefit from delay than to not benefit from delay. Completely aside from our earlier conversation around that short retirement and not being a financial catastrophe if you delay Social Security anyway. But also that that break-even age concept does, people start framing it. They they start to worry, I'm not going to live to the break-even age and therefore I better claim Social Security. And again, what we're saying is, of course, there is a percentage of the population who won't live to the break-even age, but it's going to be less than 50%. And especially if you're a healthier individual or if you're the high earner in a couple whose uh, spouse will benefit from the survivor's benefit, uh, then it's a much greater than, than 50% chance that you'll yeah. benefit from delaying. And, and I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, Wade, but I'm willing to bet if you don't have a chronic illness by the time you're in your mid-60s, it's probably, you know... The odds are in your favor. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and if right, if if you're a non-smoker, <laughs> and if you're in reasonable health, and yeah, if you don't have any chronic issues. Now, of course, we never know. Accidents happen sometimes, 
But if we're just purely talking about the odds, not even related to the impact of these different odds, but, the, but the, just the odds, you've, you've got a better than average shot at beating that break-even age and benefiting from delaying Social Security. So don't kind of get caught up in this idea of it's somehow I'm going to m- miss out or regret delaying Social Security because I won't live to enjoy it. And it's not that you then have to sacrifice your lifestyle by delaying Social Security. It's okay to go ahead and spend other investments more quickly because your Social Security benefits will be so much higher in the future. Now, that being said, and I'm kind of looking through the notes here because we we just talked about a bunch of things here. (laughs) So looking ahead here. So, oh, um, a little bit more color on that idea of you have a better than 50% chance of delaying Social Security, uh, having that pay off for you. Because the system, the delay credits, that idea of as I delay Social Security, I'll get a higher subsequent benefit, that was designed to be, quote unquote, actuarially fair in 1983. That's when the current rules were designed. People today are living much longer than they were in 1983. And it was also really designed for single individuals. So if you're the high earner in a couple, it's very easy for the longest living member of that couple to to live past how old the high earner would have been at their break-even age. So, so what you mean by that is when the when the government was pricing out the increases and the amount to give you, and so forth, it, it was literally based on what the neutral number would have been on 1983 life expectancy, inflation, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. That, that has changed markedly since then. Hence, why it's such a good deal, quote unquote, to delay. Yeah. That. In 1983, if you were going to live to your life expectancy, it wouldn't matter which age you claimed because you'd always get the same amount of lifetime benefits. So it was kind of a 50% chance that you you live past your life expectancy. So 50% chance of benefiting from delaying Social Security as a single person in 1983. But now because people are living quite a bit longer than they were in 1983, it's no longer fair. Uh, it's better than fair for you as the individual. You have a much better than 50% chance of living past the age you need to for that to be a fair bet. So you have more than a 50% chance of benefiting from delay. The other aspect of that too is interest rates. In 1983, interest rates were a lot higher, and in particular, what really matters are real interest rates. Now, tips had not been created yet in 1983. It could only real interest rates could only be estimated, but the 1983 reforms, the, those delay credits that were created, were based on an assumed 2.9% real interest rate. Today, tips yields, long-term tips yields, as of the time of this recording are somewhere in the ballpark of 1.4 to 1.5% real. So interest rates are lower today than assumed by the delay factors. What that really means is in 1983, if you were going to live to your life expectancy, the decision to delay was based on earning a 2.9% real return. It's harder today to earn a 2.9% real return than it was in 1983. 
you have to take investment risk to today to earn a 2.9% return. Because if you use tips, you're not getting anywhere close to the 2.9% real return. Well, but then I would add a caveat, right? 2.9% return with real a return. zero standard deviation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real return, but with effectively no volatility. Right. Well, well they, there's no investment but, volatility. There's just the volatility around. Your yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm getting at. And so, and so if you're thinking, oh, I can get that in stocks. Well, you only have so many number of years to get that. And you have a path that it has to be extremely smooth that you most likely will not be able to match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 2.9% is not a high number for stocks to be, but it is definitely a tough number for bonds to be at the present. And, and with stocks, if there's going to be a a decent probability that you're over this eight-year window we're talking about. Stocks don't always outperform a 2.9% real return over different eight-year windows. So you may not pay. And, and plus you're taking a great deal of risk too. With that. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> yeah, they're not equivalent. The, the stock market is not equivalent to Social Security. Social Security is that riskless. And it was 2.9% if I live to my life expectancy from 1983. Because my life expectancy is greater in 2023, the the implied real return on delay is going to be higher than 2.9%. It's going to be closer, somewhere between three or closer to 4%. And it's different for men and women. It's really different based on your life expectancy. But even just based on your life expectancies, you're getting a pretty reasonable real return uh, from implied from delaying social security. So, so wait, and I say this, and I mentioned it in the last podcast, but I think this is where where people are presented, right? Uh, I mentioned the newsletters. This is where you'll see, you know, you read an investment article, and at the end of the investment article, there'll be something that says reasons you should take social security early or soon. And one of the reasons is exactly this. They'll say, if you take it early, you have your cash in hand. And if you have cash in hand, you can invest it in the stock market. And by taking that money early and investing it in the stock market, you know, over the next eight years in which if you delayed, you will get nothing. You will, you know, you will do better. You will do better X, Y, Z because your, you know, your investment acumen is, you know, bar none kind of thing. You're saying effectively... Not so fast. Right, right. Yeah, that, that kind of argument gets used a lot, and it could just be based, well, the S&P 500, historically, would had a, a 7% compounded real return. And so you could translate that argument to say, yeah, I, I, why don't I just take Social Security early, and then I'll have this money in the stock market, quote unquote, investing my benefits, and or really what it just means is not taking money out of my investments. But then I'll have, my investments will go at 7% real, so there's kind of this quote unquote arbitrage opportunity. I can borrow at the the two point nine percent real and earn a seven percent real. Well, that doesn't consider the fact that stocks are volatile, and you're not promised a seven percent real return, especially over the relatively short time horizons needed for this to pay off for your retirement. Yeah, I, I think I think the time horizon is short. Plus. I, at a certain point, you start asking yourself, what's the context of all of this? Why are you doing this? If this is for retirement income. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think you need to take that risk. Yeah. I mean, if you're at the stage where you're retiring and you find yourself needing to take that risk, there's probably other issues that have sort of bubbled up that need to be addressed as well. Right, right. And if we're back to also just this whole idea of Social Security is 
the key form of reliable income that most American households will have as part of their retirement. And if you're gambling it away is really how you, <laughs> you're kind of taking your social security <laughs> benefits and investing them in the stock market that may or may not pay off for you. I mean, it could, for some people it could pay off, but it's definitely taking a lot of risk and it may not be risk that a typical American is, is really able to take on uh, because they just, they don't have enough reliable income. They, yeah. And this goes back to also how you frame it, right? I guess I inherently just view social security as more of an insurance piece. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's so many things in life that are up to random chance that if you get an opportunity to control certain outcomes that can be beneficial to you, you I kind of hold them dear, you know, and, you know, take risk where the, the, you have to, not necessarily where you don't have to. And to me, I, I, I've, I don't know. What, what do you think? Where, where do you take this? I, I naturally view it as insurance, a risk off kind of thing for essential expenses. Yeah, I do as well. The, I like to have social security framed as insurance. And what we're really just getting into now is even if you wanted to frame it as an investment, I would argue that it's a pretty darn good investment as well <laughs> to delay social security. No, I know. I know. I know. I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get just personally, uh -huh. what do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's longevity protection. And, and to really then just summarize what we've been talking about with this longevity. So again, these delay credits were designed with 1983 longevity in mind. They were, we, what we didn't mention, but worth emphasizing, of course, they were designed for the average social security beneficiary. But we know that there's a lot of correlations between different socioeconomic characteristics uh, and longevity. And so the type of person who actually listens to retire with style probably has other characteristics <laughs> that are correlated with living longer than the average American. And so uh, that's just another example of where the odds of you uh, as a listener uh, living beyond those break-even ages is even higher than for the general population. And, and also... Self-selection bias. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then also just, I, I did mention this point, but to emphasize it again, for a couple, the high earner their benefit lasts for the joint lifetime of the couple. If the high earner lives the longest, it's just their, their retirement benefit. If the spouse outlives the high earner, uh, then that benefit becomes a survivor benefit. And especially if the high earner in the couple is the older individual in the household, that benefit could last for years. Uh, like it, it's not when the high earner dies, it's when the last surviving member of that couple dies. So even just consider the high earner, say they're 10 years older than their spouse, uh, their spouse lives to age 90, maybe the high earner died at 75, but the high earner's benefit then lasted until the high earner would have been 100 because it lasted until the spouse died who was 90, but 10 years younger than the high earner. Well, by having that benefit paid from for those 30 years until that high earner would have turned 100, you, that's incredible that, I mean, that you're getting so much more out of social security by delaying. And that's really the way that a couple needs to frame the problem. It's not what is just my personal longevity, but what is the joint longevity of myself and my partner or spouse and how long, how old would the high earner have been when the last person in that couple passes away? So, 
So we can talk briefly about a case study. Uh, Maybe a little bit harder to discuss the case study without having any visuals, but we can try our best here. Because this is a case study that helps illustrate the idea about why you can have a permanently enhanced lifestyle um, by delaying social security. And so it's a pretty simple case study. We'll take a a 62-year-old. They're, they're currently 62, so that means their full retirement age will be 67. They just simply want to spend $60,000 a year in retirement, plus inflation. inflation. I mean, that's an inflation-adjusted spending goal. Their Social Security benefits will be, if they claim at 67, they'll get $30,000 a year. So that would cover half of their spending. The other half would need to come from their investments. If they claim at 62, the... Uh, early claiming reductions, they only get 70% of their primary insurance amount, they would get $21,000 a year. And this is all inflation adjusted. If they wait until 70, those delay credits past full retirement age, they get 20, 24% more, that's $37,200. So a simple example, it's a single person, they're 62, wanna spend $60,000 a year plus inflation, They have to make a decision on Social Security, and they also have an investment portfolio that's worth $866,000 at the present. And we're just going to look at... Very specifically. (laughs) And that's to get nice, (laughs) cool withdrawal rate numbers. I'm messing with (laughs) you. uh, (laughs) uh, They're just... We're going to look at claiming at 62 versus 70, basically. So if they claim at 62, Social Security is going to give them $21,000 a year plus inflation. I'll stop saying plus inflation on everything. Whenever I say a monetary value, it's always inflation adjusted. So Social Security gets $21,000 a year. That means they need to take the other $39,000 from their portfolio. If, well, okay. And then if they wait until 70, they have to take $60,000 from their portfolio each year for eight years until they reach 70. Then after 70, Social Security provides $37,200 and they need to take the other $22,800 from their portfolio. Okay, so that being said, going back to the age 62 claiming, 21,000 from Social Security, 39,000 from the portfolio, they had $866,000. 39,000 divided by 866,000, they have to use a 4.5% withdrawal rate to meet their spending goal. And and we're not getting into any sort of uh, conversation around what's a safe withdrawal rate. The point is, if your withdrawal rate is lower, you have a better shot at retirement success than if your withdrawal rate is higher. But this particular strategy requires a 4.5% withdrawal rate. Now, what if they claim it's 70 Well, what they're going to do is they're going to carve out a Social Security delay bridge. They don't want to have their whole $60,000 spending need uh, vulnerable to market volatility. They'll look at their age 70 benefit, and they'll carve out eight years of that and invest it in tips. And I'll even be conservative here. Eight years from their portfolio. Yeah. So they're going to Today, they're going to carve out eight years of the age 70 benefit from their portfolio since they're not getting the age 70 benefit. Of 866000 Yeah, out of the 866000 So basically, okay. today they're going to withdraw $297,600 from their portfolio. 
and they're going to build an eight-year tips ladder. And I'm assuming a 0% real return, which is less than they could actually get. So this would actually be cheaper in reality. I'm being conservative with the assumption here. So they took out almost $300,000 to cover that missing age 70 social security benefit. Then they're going to create the delay bridge. They now have reliable income of 37200 for the rest of their life. They now need to just withdraw $22,800 from the remaining $568,400. The $568,000, that's at age 70? No, no. That, was that in cash for eight years? That's when you, we've, we pulled out the in... delay bridge and set it aside. So we pulled out close to $300,000, created an eight-year tips letter with it, and we're not counting that anymore. Okay, and how are you counting the five sixty eight? Well, that's just what's left. That's just after in, they curved up. I, it becomes a port. I know, but it's not invested until. No, it's still invested. It's, it's in cash. It's their remaining investment portfolio. Okay. Yeah, not got you. And then, and then it's just like we're back to the withdrawal problem. They need to spend their remaining twenty two thousand eight hundred from the remaining five hundred and sixty eight thousand four hundred, and that is a four point zero one percent withdrawal rate. Because the increase in the social security benefit from delaying more than makes up mm-hmm. from from the distribution of the portfolio, it reduces the total. So, in theory, it gives it a better chance for maintaining a sustainable withdrawal rate. Yeah, yeah. Because it's four percent withdrawal from the portfolio yeah, and, versus four and a half percent. Right, and we're, there's again no no debate about what's the safe withdrawal rate. It's just simply if I can meet my yeah, spending yeah, yeah. goal with four point zero one percent that obviously improves the sustainability of my retirement plan compared to if I had to spend it 4.5%. And and so then that's the, by delaying social security and by building a conservative social security delay bridge, even assuming a 0% real rate of return, I can reduce the withdrawal rate needed from my investment portfolio to cover my, the, the rest of my spending goal. So either what that means is if I simply spend at a lower withdrawal rate, I'm going to have a bigger legacy at the end. Alternatively, if I wanted to use, still use a 4.5% withdrawal rate to have the same risk of portfolio depletion, I get to spend and enjoy more spending in retirement. It ends up being about 5% more total spending. It's, it's more than 5% from the portfolio, but Social Security is still the same. So 5% more lifetime spending uh, with the same amount of risk of portfolio depletion. So permanently enhanced lifestyle. 5% may not sound like enough, a lot, but it is it's it is what it is. You can... No, I mean, at this level, this is where you're, you know, everything counts yeah. in, some, you know, in large amounts. So. And, and then, yeah, and one other point to mention too. Plus, you could still deplete your investments. You might run out of money. But if that happens... It's less catastrophic because you're, you now have, like, if I claimed a 62 and deplete my investments, I only get to spend $21,000 a year after that. If I claim at 70 and then later deplete my investments, I get to spend 77% more at the 37200 per year for the rest of my life. So less risk of depleting my investments, plus even in the unfortunate scenario where I deplete my investments, I have a much higher remaining lifestyle because I have much more from social security still in that scenario. Yeah. And even if you view it from a Monte Carlo standpoint, I'm sure if you run the Monte Carlo, 
what you're going to recognize is you can spend more with the same probability of failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. If, if you increase the withdrawal rate to just enjoy the higher lifestyle, you, you get to spend more with the same probability of failure. Plus, when you do fail, same probability of failure, but when you do fail, you have 77% more to spend after that because your social security benefit is larger. Oh, yeah. The delta was larger, so you were getting a higher monthly. Mm-hmm. So that's the yeah, so, I mean, it's hard not lifestyle to... that we're talking about. Curious if you should be looking at a Roth conversion or what a Roth conversion even is? Head over to mclaneam.com slash Roth to get McLean's free ebook. Is a Roth conversion right for you? And learn about when you might want to do a Roth conversion and when you might not. Just head over to mclaneam.com slash Roth to download your free ebook today. And the other just kind of angle on all this is if you delay social security, the implied return you're getting on, on your cash flows, because we're talking about cash flows here. What's the quote unquote return from delaying social security? Well, the benefits I give up are like making an investment and then that investment by providing 77% more spending power after that. I'm getting cash flows from that investment. So every cash flow I receive improves my rate of return. How long does it take for those rates of return to start looking attractive? And so using these same numbers where it was primary insurance amount, uh, $30,000 a year, uh, $2,500 a month. Uh, if I claim it's 62, $21,000. If I wait till 70, $37,200 of benefits. So if I... Wait until 70, I give up $21,000 a year for eight years. But then I start getting $37,200 a year for the rest of my life, which is $16,200 more than the uh, age 62 benefit. Now, it takes some time for that to start implying like reasonable returns, but this is where at age 80... The, uh, that's the break-even age here. That, that's when you now have a positive real rate of return from delaying Social Security. By age say, uh, 84, it's already a 3.3% real return. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think it's, it, it, I mean, the other way to look at it even is kind of what I said earlier, the best, the best sort of pension money could buy because if you were going to take that difference, which is if, if you left $168,000 on the table, Right, and you use that to buy an annuity, you wouldn't be able to get the same payout that you would no. be from delaying. No, that's another way to frame it too. But but yeah, I mean, just let's talk about that also. But let me just mention, like, say if if you live to ninety five, you're getting an implied six point one percent real return from delaying Social Security, which is competitive with the <laughs> stock market. But that's a lot. No, but I can't even stress enough. When if you're that age, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be, you shouldn't be taking that much investment risk anyways at that point. <laughs> right. That's a, and so <laughs> you have to be 100 percent stock. You know, <laughs> it's it's uh, exactly. So if you're getting that much, I mean, you know, take the money and run. Right. The Steve Miller song. <laughs> I mean, take it. It's there. Yeah, yeah. But then now it's what you're saying too about annuities. That's also worthwhile. So let's 
Yeah, because it's what you're you're kind of paying. You you can frame it as you're paying, you're buying an annuity at seventy for this much, and you would never get anything close to what the government's giving you. Yeah, you just say so. My my age sixty two benefit, I'm I'm missing eight years of that. If you just add it up and it's all inflation adjusted, you're you're missing out on one hundred and sixty eight thousand dollars. So if you treat that as an annuity premium, how much annuity income could you buy with that? Well, by delaying Social Security you're buying an inflation adjusted. So $168,000 just discounted to age 62 is buying you a lifetime inflation adjusted income of $16,200. It's an eight year deferred annuity starting at age 70 for the rest of your life. That is a payout rate of (laughs) 9.64%. Yeah, it's not bad. It's actually pretty darn good because Now we want to try to compare that to commercial annuities. The problem is there's no commercial annuity that even provides a CPI adjusted income. So we can't even make a direct comparison. We're going to have to assume an inflation rate uh, to even be able to do this. And so I'll. And and the reason there's no, but to be clear, the reason there's no annuity that's tied to inflation is because it would be priced so expensive that no one would buy it because of the risk that these insurance companies take. So they don't do it for a reason. Yeah, there's a, I mean, they, if these were not popular, it was, there's even a story uh, in the New York times where they tracked down the one person who bought a CPI adjusted income annuity from one of the major providers out there. And and that person was a retired actuary living in Arizona. So (laughs) of course the actuary, (laughs) but generally they weren't popular with the public. And also just the insurance company is taking risks because they don't have any way to hedge inflation beyond 30 years since tips only go out for 30 years. So for anyone who's promised a CPI adjusted payment in year 31, that's all on the insurance company. And so they, they have to like consider that risk and, and have to raise the price they charge for the CPI adjusted annuity uh, so that, yeah, it's, they weren't popular with the public. No one was even searching them out. The insurance company has to take additional risk to offer them. It just, maybe we'll see, hopefully we'll see them again someday. But January 2020 is when the last remaining company dropped out of the market. And that's when we can, that was the last time we could provide a apples to apples comparison. Yeah, yeah and since then, <laughs> I, we can't even do apples to apples. So it'll do right now. Because <laughs> to, to finish this comparison now, we're just going to have to buy an income annuity with a cost of living adjustment. And I'll do this with a 3% cost of living adjustment, which just means we're going to be wrong about the inflation, but to provide a reasonable approximation, uh, how much annuity income could I buy with $168,000 for an eight year deferred income annuity, assuming a 3% inflation rate and with a 3% cost of living adjustment, this is going to knock down the payout rates. And again, we're assuming 3% inflation. So a 62-year-old man could get an 8% payout rate. A 62-year-old woman could get a 7.18% payout rate. And then for a couple, six, both age 62, uh, joint 100%, like the equivalent of 100, the survivor's benefit from Social Security. So 100% survivor's benefit for a joint annuity that would be a 5.92% payout rate all at the start of this year. And That's when I ran these numbers. Right. 
But all of these are significantly, significantly less, less than the annuity. Than the 9.64% implied by Social Security. Plus that 9.64% is a true inflation protected <laughs> uh, payout rate. Uh-huh. So wait, we really went deep into the numbers in this episode. We did, yeah. It's kind of mind-blowing. And that, that's back to the point of if you, you, if you are thinking about using an annuity, especially if you are income protection or risk wrap, you can't beat delaying Social Security. Right. So step yeah. one is delay Social Security. Then if there's still need for additional annuity, that's when you can look into the commercial markets. But it would not be efficient to 100%. claim Social Security early and... Um, just buy more annuity uh, instead. Okay, so that's the case for delaying Social Security. Now let's talk about why it might make sense to claim early in some scenarios. Okay, so the first reason, if you have a legitimate medical reason to not expect to be able to live to age 80 or beyond, then it's valid. And this should not just be your hunch, but it should be like a doctor, <laughs> something that's linked to the medical <laughs> world. As well as if you're the higher earner in the couple, it's not just your life expectancy that we're talking about. It's the joint longevity of the couple. That if you have a reason to believe that yourself or anyone eligible to a survivor benefit from you is not going to make it past the age where you would turn 80, then you could argue it's okay, there's a valid, legitimate medical reason that it can be justified to, to claim early. Like I can't tell someone who has severe medical issues that they should still delay. So that, that can be a valid reason to delay or to claim early. Um, the, another one, and we did mention this last week in the episode, is if you simply have no alternative, you don't have a side investment account, you don't have the opportunity to engage in part-time work and so forth, you just absolutely need the money now, then there may be no alternative but to claim earlier. And again, we can't fault anyone who's in that position either. That, that can be a legitimate reason. To claim no, early. I mean, life comes at you fast. Sometimes you have to play the cards you're dealt with. Yeah, yeah. There's a few interesting tricks with the sus- file or suspend rules that can help to get a short-term uh, access to funds. But uh, I guess we shouldn't probably shouldn't even have said that because we're not going to explain <laughs> that in detail right now. That would be a whole side topic. But yeah, generally, if you simply need the money, there may be no alternative. Okay, so the next one is. Well, I'm, I'm, I've said this a hundred times at this point, but we're particularly talking about either the case of a single person or the high earner in a couple. The spouse in a couple with the lower primary insurance amount can be much more justified to claim at an earlier age. It, it's really, and, and the reason for that is because their benefit only lasts until the first member of the couple passes away which is a younger age than the age when the last member of the couple passes away. Since ultimately when the first person passes away, that spouse's worker's benefit is going to also go away. They, they can justify more easily claiming at a younger age. The higher earner would claim at 70, the low earner would have more flexibility about when to claim. And then the other scenario is if 
you have dependents who have a, a use it or lose it type situation where like suppose you're age 62 but you have a 10 year old child if you claim at 62 your 10 year old child is eligible for benefits from your record your spouse is eligible for benefits from your record as a not as a retirement benefit but as the uh, caregiver for the dependent child until that child turns six, uh, 16 and that child would be eligible for the benefit until they're a bit older, depending on their education circumstances. If you don't claim at 62, you just, you don't get those benefits. It's kind of use it or lose it. Now, I'm not saying that this is a scenario where it's obviously better to then claim early because you have to balance that against the uh, survivor benefit to the spouse later on and so forth. In this scenario where someone who's already social security eligible and has young children, it probably implies that the spouse is also quite a bit younger than, <laughs> than that individual, which is back to that scenario where if my spouse might live until the equivalent of when I would have been 110, the survivor benefits off of that are huge. So this wouldn't necessarily yep. overturn the decision, but at least it's worth looking at this in the software and making an informed decision of trading off these dependent benefits that I might lose versus what that would do to the subsequent survivor benefit to my spouse. It may still very much lean towards delay, but at least this is a scenario where if you have dependents who could get benefits off of your record that they wouldn't otherwise ever get, you at least should run the numbers a bit more but, carefully. But but notice these the the theme and underlying the underlying theme in all of these, unlike reasons to extend, where these are more financial planning reasons which are very valid. They're not necessarily break-even reasons or anything like that. They're shortened life expectancy, healthcare issues involved with that. Uh, you need the money now, a budgeting issue. You know, the spouse, you know, with a lower primary insurance amount has incentive. You know, there's a difference between the, the spouse and there's a child in which you're not taking advantage of benefits that are available to you now, if not you lose them. To me, these are financial planning reasons that make it obvious to that make it more obvious, let me say it like that, to claim early as opposed to this sort of arbitrage investment break-even that you may be running in the back of your head. Mm -hmm. Okay, then there's a couple other reasons that get listed, and these have already come up in the last two episodes, but I would say there are less valid reasons to claim early. And the first of these is the idea that uh, investments, that, that by claiming early, you can, quote-unquote, invest your benefits and get a better outcome. Now, we did have a whole episode on that a while back because Steve Parrish and I published an article in the Journal of Financial Planning in January 2023 that tested this sort of claim in the historical data and quantified when it would have paid off to claim early and then, quote unquote, invest your benefits. And it does depend on what sort of asset allocation that you'd use. The more aggressively you're willing to invest, the easier it is for the early claiming to pay off. If you're going to invest conservatively, so if you're like, if you got a 25% stock allocation, it's almost impossible for you to benefit from quote unquote investing your benefits because bonds can't keep up with what Social Security is able to do. Uh, but we did have a whole episode a couple of months back where we looked at this, Bob French and I did that episode and we looked at this in detail. So we won't redig into all that right now, especially this episode is getting to be on the long side. But again, the point is, if you're just saying, oh, well, the stock market has this average historical return that's so much higher than the returns implied by delaying Social Security, 
of course, I'm just going to claim early, keep more money in my investment portfolio, get a higher rate of return. The reality is it's a lot harder to benefit from that sort of approach than the naive sort of analysis implies. And again, the naive analysis is plug in a historical stock return and that's the whole story. No, there's, <laughs> there's more to it than that. And then the other one is just simply the idea that, and you mentioned it today already, Alex, the idea that Social Security will disappear. Uh, the trust fund is projected to deplete. Now the combined trust funds for social, the old age, survivor, and disability insurance are now projected to deplete in 2034. And so there's this idea that, well, I better get money out while I can because it's going to go away. And that's an issue that warrants its whole episode. So that's a nice kind of cliffhanger. <laughs> Our next episode in the Social Security arc will be about the history of Social Security and potential reform options, and, and in that regard, the future of Social Security, and whether or not it's a valid kind of idea that I better claim Social Security now because otherwise I'm not going to get anything out of Social Security. The, the punchline is I don't think that's a legitimate concern, but it will We'll unpack that in a lot more detail in the next episode. All right, All man. Right. Yeah, we're getting long today, so we should <laughs> wrap things up. But... Well, no, I mean, look, it's one of these numbers-driven episodes, which is good. We got you back in your element, right. Wade. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was awesome. All right, well, thank you, everyone. We'll catch you next week when... Uh, we talk about the, the social security and the end is nigh. <laughs> okay. Thanks everyone. <laughs> All right. Bye now. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.